Welcome to a special edition of Red Star Radio. Today, looking at the events unfolding in Brazil, and specifically within the capital, Brasilia, where thousands of supporters of the now exiled or self exiled President Jair Bolsonaro have stormed the Brazilian Congress and have apparently attempted to instigate some sort of coup ever since the election result, which was, of course, very, very close. The supporters of Bolsonaro have been taken to the streets, have been calling for the army to intervene, to overturn the election, to institute a military regime or to reinstitute or reinstate Bolsonaro. This has provoked a whole series of, frankly, hysterical condemnations from various uh, political actors in the European Union hierarchy, the presidency of Joe Biden the Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, all condemning the actions and blaming Bolsonaro for it, even though his direct involvement so far is unproven. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But it has also drawn from the grotesque collection of egotists in the US uh, bourgeois media comparisons to the famous events that took place uh, when Donald Trump left office, uh, the so-called January 6th riot, or insurrection, as many have described it in the bourgeois press. I want to talk a little bit today about why that's an incredibly facile comparison and why the events in Brazil are far more serious and far more dangerous than anything the collection of oddballs who wandered around the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. for a couple of hours two years ago managed to do. But first of all, let's look at uh, what has unfolded here and why. Now, Bolsonaro, of course, has gone into exile in Florida and now he is apparently in hospital, though that may be to keep himself away from the media. Who knows? Now, the man has been apparently on the edge of death ever since winning the presidency in 2018. Uh, he seems to be constantly in hospital, ill with one thing or another, yet continues to survive. So Bolsonaro comes in in 2018 following the unconvincing reign of the temporary president, Michel Temer, who took over from Lula's successor, Dilma Rousseff, who was deposed via what is termed in certain circles today, lawfare. In other words, it was a, a legalist coup that was put in place by the Brazilian bourgeois parties who wanted to depose Dilma Rousseff principally because she and the Brazilian Workers' Party, known as the PT, didn't uh, want to go down the road of privatizing uh, Petrobras, the Brazilian state oil company. And certain faction of the Brazilian ruling class was desperate for that privatization to occur. And that is, of course, one of the big reasons cited why they carried out this coup to remove Rousseff and have her replaced by her vice president, Temer, who was, of course, from a uh, very pro-capitalist bourgeois party, and why ultimately he was then uh, replaced in the election, uh, which Lula was forbidden from running in, uh, by Bolsonaro, who beat the Workers' Party candidate, Fernando Haddad. Now, this is necessary background, and I'll be going further into the history of uh, Brazilian politics as we go into the episode. But the the imprisonment of Lula was, of course, cooked up by uh, a guy called Sergio Moro, who was then, for a little while at least, Bolsonaro's justice minister. And Moro, at the time, 
uh, of the investigation into the PT government and Lula and Dilma was hailed by many people, including many people on the left, as some great crusader against corruption. In reality, he was an ambitious, deeply reactionary individual who knew very well that, of course, if you want to go looking for uh, petty corruption in Brazilian politics, there's plenty of it to choose from everywhere, and that Lula is probably one of the least guilty characters in the Brazilian political system. But they cooked something up on him anyway, threw him in jail for the specific purpose of making sure he couldn't run against Bolsonaro. And clearly at that stage, the dominant faction within the Brazilian ruling class was one that was um, looking for a right-wing figure, a wholly pro-capitalist figure to come in, carry out more privatizations, clamp down on the working class, that kind of thing. The kind of um, actions that uh, bourgeois politicians are expected to carry out when they come into office, specifically when uh, capitalism's in a bit of a slump, which, of course, Brazilian capitalism was in for a while in the 2010s. And so Bolsonaro comes in, but he proves to be an erratic and unreliable character for the Brazilian ruling class and for U.S. imperialism. U.S. imperialism was clearly involved in some way or another with the um, removal of Dilma and the imprisonment of Lula. But after Bolsonaro proved to be too unreliable a figure, prone to strange and erratic behavior, and not the man who was going to bring um, the stability with him that uh, the Brazilian ruling class were clearly looking for. And so there is a process that uh, carries on during the Bolsonaro administration where the Brazilian left keeps saying that Bolsonaro is looking to set up a fascist regime. Of course, Bolsonaro is on record as being a great admirer of the Brazilian military dictatorship, which ran between 1964 and 1985, of which he was a member as a colonel in the army and saying all kinds of crazy and reactionary things and clearly wanting to move in the direction of setting up some kind of uh, dictatorship or more, even more of an authoritarian regime. But he was never able to get there, partly because the man's completely useless and incompetent. But also, and more importantly, there was a split and remains a split within the Brazilian ruling class and even within US imperialism, I would say, as to the correct way forward. They clearly got a case of buyer's remorse over Bolsonaro pretty quickly when he proved to be unreliable. He also didn't significantly change Brazilian foreign policy in the way that the US was expecting him to. And that's because, of course, the interests of the Brazilian ruling class have been moving towards developing greater economic ties with both China and the Russians, as part of, of course, Brazil's membership of the BRICS organization, which Lula was one of the key players in setting up uh, 20 years ago now. So the interests of the Brazilian capitalist class um, were split. Some of the more openly comprador elements uh, that were completely subservient and are completely subservient to U.S. imperialism favored Bolsonaro, a minority of those favor open dictatorship and a return to military rule. Others clearly favor the maintenance of a bourgeois democratic system. And of course, it's not for nothing that uh, Lenin observed in his classic work of 1917, State and Revolution. He made the following observation, which I think applies very well to this case and can tell us 
a lot about the situation in Brazil. So, quote goes as follows. At present, imperialism and the domination of the banks have developed into an exceptional art. Both these methods of upholding and giving effect to the omnipotence of wealth in democratic republics of all descriptions. Another reason why the omnipotence of wealth is more certain in a democratic republic is that it does not depend on defects in the political machinery or on the faulty political shell of capitalism. A democratic republic is the best possible political shell for capitalism and therefore once capital has gained possession of this very best shell through the Palshinsky, Chernov, Seratelis and Co., it establishes its power so securely, so firmly, that no change of persons, institutions or parties in the bourgeois democratic republic can shake it. Now, the names he mentions there are, of course, the leaders of the Russian uh, social democratic second international type parties. But the point that Lenin is making there is that the bourgeois democracy, specifically the bourgeois democratic republic, uh, modeled to a large extent off the United States or the republican tradition in France, is the most perfect form, political form, for capitalism. And in the case of a country like Brazil, which, of course, has gone through various different uh, modes of rule since its independence over 200 years ago now, it was an empire for a while with a royal family that came in from Europe. It's been a republic, though, for over 150 years now, and has reached the point in its development over the last 20 years where bourgeois democracy becomes much more stable because the Brazilian capitalist economy developed to the point where relying on a military regime, a Bonapartist regime, uh, a military dictatorship, that became less and less appealing for an economy that was developing as successfully as Brazilian capitalism was throughout the 1990s and into the early 2000s. And so at this stage, the Brazilian ruling class favoured um, the maintenance of a bourgeois democratic republic. Even their removal of Dilma Rousseff, their imprisonment of Lula, was done through legalistic channels. And then again, Lula was released through legalistic channels. You see, the main job, of course, of the state is to maintain conditions that are favourable for the production and the reproduction of capitalist relations. And at this stage, it is bourgeois democracy, a bourgeois democratic republic, that is more favourable to that than the kind of military regime that a nutbag like Bolsonaro wants to turn to. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there would not be, at some point, should the Brazilian ruling class feel pressured enough by the Brazilian working class, that they would not turn back to a military regime or an open fascist regime at some point. But at this stage, shaky though it may be at times, there is a clear wish for the maintenance of a bourgeois democratic republic amongst a plurality of the Brazilian ruling class. That is why Bolsonaro never got the traction that he wanted to set up some kind of dictatorship. That is why when it comes to this election that has just gone by, the Brazilian ruling class were split in their loyalties as to who they favoured. Now, part of that is, of course, also down to the way that uh, President Lula, as he now is, has governed, not just in his brief tenure this time, but back 20 years ago when he was first president. See, Lula 
had been a trade union leader throughout the period of the military dictatorship. He was imprisoned a number of times, showed great personal bravery in opposing that dictatorship. And he had run for the president before on a more radical platform. But when he initially won over 20 years ago now, he had considerably moderated what had been a more radical reformist program that he'd run on in the 90s and had started pursuing partnerships with bourgeois parties. In fact, all of his governments and Dilma Rousseff's governments were consisting of coalitions with bourgeois parties in order that they could essentially win the elections in Brazil. They were appealing to elements within the bourgeoisie to come in and join a coalition with them. And that is why, of course, um, Lula's first two terms in office were regarded positively even by the intellectual journals of the British bourgeoisie even the economist I can remember this from 20 years ago the economist which is an incredibly reactionary journal of the British bourgeoisie were running favorable stories about Lula comparing him to the terrible Chavez in, in Venezuela and uh, this is the way forward for the Latin Americans uh, the, it's the Lula path the British bourgeoisie at the time were giving him great press. Of course, they all turned on him in the end, but at the time when he was first in office in that first term, he was being fated by the uh, by the bourgeoisie, in certainly in Britain. And of course, notoriously, uh, Lula seeking to expand Brazil's role on the international scene also collaborated with George W. Bush in providing Brazilian troops for the occupation force that uh, took over control of Haiti in the mid-2000s following the second time disposing of the overthrow of Jean-Bertrand Aristide and those Brazilian forces were alleged to have committed many crimes against the Haitian population. So Lula is a social democrat. He has governed before in partnership with uh, bourgeois parties. He was regarded positively by not just the parts of the Brazilian ruling class, but the uh, the British imperialists and others within the American imperialists uh, as well. So this is somebody who has had a long-term partnership with elements within the Brazilian ruling class. And that explains why there is a degree of reticence, at the very least, amongst the Brazilian ruling class as to what they're going to do now. Some of them openly backed Lula during the most recent election, wanting rid of Bolsonaro and all his bizarreness, thinking that Lula would be better for business. And it must be emphasized that the PT-led government, of which Lula is the head, um, the vice president of this, Haroldo Alckmin, was, of course, from a bourgeois party. He had run against Lula during his first period in office. And there are several other openly reactionary figures within the Lula administration. So, for instance, the Minister of Defense of the incoming Lula administration, a guy by the name of Jose Mercio, is a member of a very reactionary party whose leader um, openly stated that he'd voted for Bolsonaro. And the Minister for Tourism, a woman called Daniela Canera, has links with the illegal paramilitary groups in uh, Rio de Janeiro, made up of uh, ex and serving police officers who essentially operate as uh, paramilitaries and sometimes death squads. So this is a government which contains very pro-capitalist elements and open reactionary elements. 
because this is part of obviously Lula's strategy of trying to bridge uh, divides within the bourgeoisie, uh, which is a classic social democratic tactic. Of course, this is something which I, I would argue is not likely to work because the extremely reactionary, extremely dangerously reactionary elements within the Brazilian bourgeoisie are never going to be reconciled to a government with anything less than an out-and-out bitter reactionary in charge of it, Bolsonaro or somebody else a bit more competent, perhaps. So no amount of putting these people's uh, representatives in the government, of putting pro-business elements in there, I don't think is going to secure a Lula administration against the encroachments of and the plotting of the most extremely reactionary elements within the Brazilian bourgeoisie. There is, of course, also the fact that even though you have a social democratic president as part of a coalition government who is trying to bridge divides within Brazilian bourgeois politics, what he can't bridge is the glaring class contradictions that exist in Brazil. Now, Lula, of course, in his first two terms in office, did make a certain amount of progress on alleviating poverty. It would be wrong to deny that. But also, even by his own admission, in an interview he gave from prison to the American journalist Glenn Greenwald, who did a lot of work, Greenwald did that is, on working to free Lula from prison by uh, proving that his conviction was dubious at best. But in that interview given to Greenwald, Lula admitted that by the end of his second term, due to the economic policies that he pursued, that much of his achievements from the first term had actually been undermined or reversed. And he says openly in that interview that this created problems, as did, of course, the extremely reactionary nature of many of the Brazilian ruling class who never accepted him as a legitimate president in the first place. So the class contradictions in Brazilian society are clearly huge. Anybody who's ever read anything about Brazil will tell you about the gigantic gap between um, the richest elements of the Brazilian ruling class and the working class. There is, of course, been a, a reformation of class structure in Brazil as it's developed into a more powerful capitalist country over the years. You have a more extensive petty bourgeoisie now, which, of course, provided a very solid basis for Bolsonaro's vote. But the contradictions within Brazil in terms of class are still enormous and the reactions of the Brazilian ruling class whenever the capitalist economy gets into trouble are ferociously reactionary as much as any of the uh, leading imperialist countries' ruling classes. So this divide, I don't think, can be bridged by just including reactionary representatives inside the cabinet, which is what uh, Lula has done. And at the same time, the Brazilian ruling class and the wider ruling classes of the imperialist nations are very keen for Lula to remain the great moderate. And this is where I want to bring in some reporting on the Financial Times because reading the Financial Times is always worth engaging in because even though it runs a lot of deranged nonsense, it does speak for the consensus opinion within the British ruling class, within the British capitalist class. It certainly does a lot of work uh, coming to be the opinion former for them and reflecting their opinions into the world. So the Financial Times editorial 
that was written on this today uh, came out clearly against the attempted coup from the protesters in Brasilia. They said that Bolsonaro should denounce it, that the conservative movement in Brazil should denounce it. So clearly they are on the page of wanting to preserve the bourgeois democratic republic. However, they do issue a veiled warning to Lula. Actually, it's not a very veiled warning. Um, so I'll read this quote in full just to give an indication of how British ruling class opinion is viewing this. So they say, they say, Lula won a reputation in his first two terms as a skilled negotiator and pragmatist, able to fight poverty while maintaining economic growth. He now wants to repeat the trick in much tougher economic and political circumstances. The weekend storming of Congress underlined how much harder the job will be. The new president needs to resist narrow dogma, govern for the broad majority of Brazilians, and try to bring together a deeply divided nation. So, where's the warning in there? Well, it comes in the latter sentence. So, they say that he needs to resist narrow dogma. Now, what they mean by that is to resist the pressure coming from the ranks of both the Brazilian Workers' Party and the other party that's agreed to support Lula's coalition, the Socialism and Liberty Party, known as PSOL. And so the Financial Times, in its editorial there, is issuing a warning that they expect the British capitalist class, who of course have significant investments and interests in Brazil, they expect Lula to hold the left of both the PT and the, the PSOL parties in check and refuse to go down the road that is opened or that they, those parties and the elements of those parties want to be open, which is a more traditional left social democratic reformist trajectory. They clearly, uh, the Financial Times and the, the people they speak for are issuing a warning to say, well, look, we condemn this and we don't support it, but You've got to stay on the old straight and narrow, Lula. Otherwise, well, our fondness for you might not last. So that's the view of the British imperialists, the British capitalist class there. And it's representative also of the views of the American imperialists who are willing to give Lula a shot another time, um, this time round, as long as he remains the great moderate, which, of course, brings up problems because if the... Brazilian working class starts engaging in more intense class struggle as, of course, we look to be heading towards a dramatic renewal of the 2008 recession, which will end up most likely being a global recession, which will severely impact upon Brazil and the other South American nations as much as it will uh, everywhere else. And, of course, the demand of the ruling class will be in Brazil, as it is everywhere, that the government needs to do, respond to this by attacking the working class and the employers will respond to it by carrying out sackings, attacks on working conditions, the usual tricks all the capitalist classes pull when they are in trouble themselves. And of course this then intensifies the class struggle, it intensifies the pressure coming through the ranks of the Brazilian Workers' Party, the PSOL Party, uh, increasing the pressure on Lula himself to take a more pro-worker line and of course this will be resisted by all the bourgeois factions that are within Lula's coalition including Haroldo Alckmin the vice president and of course there you will have a situation where the reformist party and the reformist president is left suspended in midair caught 
on the horns of the contradictions between the working class and the ruling class. And this is the danger. And unless, of course, a way is found to resolve that contradiction decisively in favour of the working class, then it will be the ruling class who will get to, of course, set the political and industrial and economic agenda. And you get the working class falling into disorganization, disillusionment, atomization. And this is what started to happen at the end of Dilma Rousseff's term in office. There were mass protests in the street against her government, which had taken a anti-working class turn, a decisive anti-working class turn. These were capitalized upon by um, the likes of Bolsonaro and others uh, in the reactionary parties in Brazil. Of course they were. But the, a lot of these were protests that were led by elements within the Brazilian working class or certainly had elements of the Brazilian working class participating within them. And this caused a lot of um, debates at the time in the trade union movement, which I was very active in at the time, over, well, what is the, what is the way forward for Brazil? And I remember at one particular trade union conference, a member of the uh, Communist Party of Britain, uh, it was a delegate from, a, I believe, a trade union council in the Midlands somewhere, in the British Midlands somewhere, standing up and saying that all these protests against um, against uh, the Dilma government are all reactionary. They're all uh, instigated by U.S. imperialism. They need to be opposed and denounced. Now, was U.S. imperialism interested at that time in seeing the uh, the PT government uh, removed and one that they thought would be more pliable for their interests brought in. Absolutely they were. Does that mean that every single protest that was organized in Brazil, every single strike, was instigated by U.S. imperialism? No. Brazilian class contradictions are generated by the nature of Brazilian capitalism. Yes, imperialists can and will try and exploit some of those from time to time when their interests go in that direction. But that doesn't mean that we should just ignore the fact that the Lula and Dilma governments and the new Lula government are very, as the Financial Times says itself, moderate social democratic governments that have a distinctly pro-capitalist element to them, a very strong pro-capitalist element to them, and thus are going to be caught in the middle of these class contradictions. Now, the danger, of course, is that when the social democrat, in this case Lula, tries to appease the ruling class at the expense of the working class base of the Social Democratic Party. The base becomes disillusioned, becomes um, demoralized, uh, the militancy within it dissipates, and it ultimately drifts away from the Social Democratic Party. This happened in Brazil to some degree 10 years ago. It's why the response to the legal coup against Dilma Rousseff was somewhat muted because the working class movement in Brazil had already been split and demoralized to a certain extent by the actions of the Rousseff government. And of course, when that happens, certain layers within the working class of any country, including Brazil, will either fall into inactivity or will fall into uh, openly reactionary politics. And this has been the case in Brazil because, remember, uh, Lula won the vote overwhelmingly in the poorest sections of the working class, but in other sections of the working class, they voted by some margin uh, for Bolsonaro. And even though this was 
a smaller margin, the lower down the income scale you've got, it is still the case that significant amounts of the Brazilian working class did vote for Bolsonaro. And some of them are very enthusiastic about Bolsonaro. And a lot of that can be traced back to the failures of the Lula and then the Dilma administration. And so this is the nature of the contradictions facing all social Democrats when they get into power, whether it's in Brazil, which is a defined as a developing economy, though it's rapidly becoming a very powerful uh, and increasingly advanced capitalist state, or in one of the imperialist states. The same problems do emerge that social Democrats always respond to in roughly the same way. Try to appease the ruling class, try and restrain or squash class struggle on behalf of the working class, demoralize the working class. Then when the ruling class have decided that the social Democrat has done his or her job of restraining class struggle, they are then disposed of for a more reliable reactionary figure. And keep this in mind. It's not for nothing that the Financial Times issues warnings uh, to Lula, uh, calling for moderation, calling for him to run essentially a pro-business presidency. Because they have, of course, Geraldo Alckmin sat in the vice president's chair, ready to take over should they decide that Lula's not cutting it anymore, and should they decide that they need to remove him as they did Dilma Rousseff beforehand. So this is a very difficult situation, and it's not one that uh, Lula is going to find an easy way around. And we should be honest in our assessments of that, and not just uh, seek to create hagiographies of Lula, as some on the left do, or just um, dismiss the Lula phenomenon as unimportant. It's clearly an important movement. Um, His time in office represents something which is important. It should be analysed properly. Speaking of analysis, of course, there is, as I indicated earlier, an avalanche of absolutely facile nonsense coming out of the United States comparing the events that are taking place now with the events of two years ago on January the 6th. I argue that the similarity is in form and not content, because whereas in Brazil you have uh, what is, is at the moment a minority of the ruling class, but still powerful elements which are in favour of a dictatorship, which are in favour of a military coup, which are in favour of restoring Bolsonaro by military means. And imprisoning their their political opponents, cracking down on trade union organizations using military methods, that kind of thing. That is a strong element within the Brazilian ruling class. Again, not the majority of them at this stage, but an important faction nonetheless. And so this action that was taken today and yesterday, and the protests that have been uh, staged by Bolsonaro supporters since the election result was known, Those protests have real roots within the ruling class of Brazil, within the state institutions, and within certain elements of the military and security services. So far, the uh, military, the senior ranks of it, haven't uh, come out in favor of a coup, though that's only at this stage because I would argue that the bulk of the ruling class in Brazil does not want to dispose of the bourgeois democratic form at this stage, as I said earlier. But those elements are there. There are far more powerful elements within the state structure of Brazil that are in favor of a military coup, a military solution to these, as they see it, problems than there ever was inside the United States. The United States government is the most developed bourgeois democratic republic on earth. It is the leading imperialist power. 
It has been a bourgeois democratic republic for over 200 years, of course, with extensions to the voting base and voting rights only much later. But the ruling class, at least the dominant faction within them, take seriously the preservation of that bourgeois democratic form. Of course, they do so because, as Lenin indicates in State and Revolution, it is the most efficient form of government for uh, American capitalism, and the ruling class know this very well. And, of course, Trump was a clown, much like Bolsonaro. In fact, he was even more of a clown than Bolsonaro. He had no support whatsoever to create some sort of dictatorship or authoritarian regime within the military hierarchy. The security services, uh, the secret police of the United States, the FBI, the Foreign Intelligence Service, the CIA... All of those and their hierarchies had turned on him. The military was almost openly disdainful of him towards the end. The ruling class themselves in the United States at this stage are opposed to a fascist regime, a Bonapartist regime. They don't see the need for it at this stage. So the events of January the 6th, 2021 were a clown show which was mainly set up by stooges for the FBI and other security agencies, whereas the events in Brazil represent something which is far more serious and far more dangerous for the Brazilian working class because it has more solid roots within the Brazilian ruling class and within large elements, of course, of the petty bourgeoisie in Brazil and even some elements of the working class. That's a far more dangerous thing than a bunch of clowns in Washington in 2021, many of whom were working directly or indirectly for the security services. That's a danger in itself in different ways, but the, to present the two as the same is the height of stupidity and opportunism. So it's no surprise that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the various other members of the squad decided that they were going to uh, relive their trauma again online and claim that the events in Brazil were the same. They were not. The events in Brazil are far more dangerous. The events in Brazil are far more serious. And anybody making the comparison with January the 6th in Washington is a fool um, or an American egotist, uh, nothing more than that. So with that in mind, then, what should the response be? Now, there's been the right demands have been raised by various elements of the Brazilian left, which include the need to do a mass mobilization to uh, make clear the opposition to uh, any kind of coup. The, the, the trade unions need to mobilize, that there needs to be a clear show of strength by the supporters of the Lula government uh, that would serve as a counterweight or a, a, a show of force from those who support the Lula government. And that, of course, is the right thing to do. And even though, of course, as communists, I don't think we should be in the business of defending the bourgeois state, we should when these situations do occur and reactionary forces do try to dispose of an elected bourgeois democratic government, it needs to be pointed out that not only all the contradictions involved, as I have said, but also that the working class must defend against these type of reactionary coups because the only reason that the Brazilian bourgeoisie would actually want this to succeed if the bulk of them did come on side for something like this would be for the specific purposes of attacking the working class, driving down living standards, smashing up working class organization. And so for those reasons, this needs to be vigorously opposed. But a lot of uh, Brazilian communists are making the correct point, which is to say that 
if Lula just relies upon the institutions of the state, the police, the armed forces, etc., well, then he's going to be in a lot of trouble. And here I will return to the comparison with Chavez and Maduro that was made unfavorably by The Economist over 20 years ago when they were favorable towards Lula and, of course, very unfavorable towards Chavez. Now, Chavez is an interesting character, worthy of uh, much greater explanation than I'm going to give him here and the the movement that he represents. But uh, Chavez was, of course, pushed further, far further than he originally intended to go by the fact that he had this relationship with the Venezuelan masses who saved him from an attempted coup in 2002 by pouring out of the working class areas of Caracas and other cities onto the streets in such huge numbers that the uh, the coup government by the uh, leader of Venezuelan business confederation, Pedro Carmona, was swept away within 24 hours of attempting to seize power and Chavez was returned. And it's this relationship with the Venezuelan masses and its development into uh, the Bolivarian circles or out of the Bolivarian circles and into the council movement that exists within uh, the working class areas of Venezuela, which gave the PSUV government headed by Chavez and then Nicolas Maduro its enduring strength. Then, of course, you got the expansion of that into the formation of an armed uh, militia organization that served as a counterbalance to the forces of the uh, Venezuelan state, the armed forces of the Venezuelan state. And it is this um, armed movement within the working class areas that is consists of supporters of the PSUV that is a, a big reason why the uh, Chavez and Maduro governments have survived against multiple US-sponsored coup attempts. And there is a much di- more developed dynamic between the militant uh, grassroots within Venezuela and the Venezuelan government that not only acts to put pressure upon the Venezuelan government to do the right thing and stay the course with its uh, promises, but also to secure that government against outside interference and, of course, against the machinations that went on within the Venezuelan state. For instance, before 2002 and up to the coup against Chavez, the military high command was openly plotting against him. After that, Chavez and then Maduro were careful to remove hostile elements within the military high command. So you have this um, working class democratic movement within um, the Venezuelan cities and a armed element of that, an organized armed workers militia within that, that helps to guard against attempts at Uh, counter-revolutions against foreign intervention. And all of that, of course, is a much more radical, more uh, nearly revolutionary uh, actions that have been taken there in Venezuela than were ever taken in Brazil under Lula either the first time round or again this time. I don't think he'll be doing anything like that. Because, of course, only some of that came as an initiative from Chavez. Much of it came also from the working class of Venezuela itself in terms of their mobilization. And certainly under Chavez, there was a continued interaction between the base and, and Chavez himself that formulated a lot of uh, political strategies there that helped to embed and strengthen the Bolivarian movement within the Venezuelan working class. And that is, of course, why uh, journals like The Economist, like The Financial Times and other 
representative organs of British imperialism were always ferociously hostile to Hugo Chavez and why they remain hostile to the Venezuelan government to this day. So that's a point of comparison that is worth making, that the Venezuelans are treated as much more radical and dangerous because the role of the masses within the Bolivarian movement in Venezuela is much more prominent and much more powerful than it ever was, I would argue, in Brazil. And I don't think, given the platform that Lula ran on this time round, that he's going to be going in that direction. So it is going to be up to uh, the Brazilian working class to actually defend the bourgeois democracy that does exist if it continues to be threatened by reactionary elements and possibly from elements within the state itself. And if the Lula government and Lula himself and the PT just rely upon the forces of the bourgeois state, then they are digging their own graves, quite frankly, because these forces cannot be relied upon by even social democratic governments if that if that social democratic government tries to be true to its commitments to the working class. These are sources of reaction, as Lenin identified, they are the special bodies of armed men who are there to defend private property. They are there to defend capitalism, and they are there to defend the property rights of the Brazilian, or indeed any capitalist class all over the world, wherever you are. That is the role of the state forces within a capitalist state. They are there to defend capital. And social democrats all over the world either don't understand that or ignore it or think that they can get around it, but the same lesson comes back over and over again because these forces do turn when we reach the point where the pitch of the class struggle uh, reaches a threatening point uh, for the ruling class. It is at that point that the military high commands usually start to draw up plots or openly participate in plots, dependent upon, of course, the conditions within any country at a given time. And so, what does this lead us to conclude? That the conditions facing the Lula government are only going to get more testing, not less. That the demands of the Brazilian ruling class and the Brazilian working class cannot be reconciled, as they can't anywhere in the world. And that Lula and the Workers' Party-headed government are going to be caught in the middle of a series of unresolvable contradictions. Contradictions that are not resolvable through the national unity type government that Lula is trying to run. And so they are going, only going to face more opposition from openly reactionary forces that are going to get more confident and are going to act more boldly as the class struggle in Brazil uh, looks likely to heat up as the world moves towards a potentially uh, renewed version of the crisis of 2008, which of course hit the Brazilian economy very hard in 08 to 2010, although, of course, it did, to a certain extent, rebound from that. So the situation in Brazil is going to be interesting to watch. It is going to be vital for, the obviously, the fate of the Brazilian working class, but also how this fits into uh, wider rivalries in the world in terms of alignments, um, in terms of the course that Lula steers on foreign policy. Well, just like Bolsonaro did not actually change the foreign policy of Dilma and Lula all that much, despite the fact that he was brought in to be a much more pro-American figure, he ended up steering pretty close to the Russians and even the Chinese anyway, 
because that's where the interests of the Brazilian ruling class are increasingly going to war. And so Lula will continue in, in, to a degree with that. Uh, and in fact, of course, as he's one of the founders of the BRICS and is personally close to uh, Putin and the Russians and has developed partnerships with the Chinese, you're only going to see more developments in that direction, not less. So the path of Brazilian capitalism, as it gets more powerful, does lead it away from uh, domination by the U.S. imperialists, which is positive in and of itself. But of course, that doesn't resolve the enormous class contradictions and the class warfare that will exist and does exist within Brazil itself. So a very interesting and potentially dangerous situation develops in Brazil. It'll be very hard, if not impossible, for Lula to compromise his way through this, given the demands of the Brazilian ruling class and the Brazilian working class, as I said, cannot be reconciled. So I think we are going to see more events like this going into the future as the reactionaries in Brazil, despite the fact that some of them will probably go to prison over this, and indeed the governor of Brasilia, the state, has already been dismissed, the reactionary forces have a solid and strong base within the Brazilian ruling class, and therefore the political trend that manifest their interests, represented by the likes of Bolsonaro, may well find new leadership. Bolsonaro maybe now is finally regarded as a completely busted flush. Maybe they find somebody a little bit more credible, less erratic, but they aren't going anywhere. And they're going to attempt to take power and push things in an even more anti-working class direction than Bolsonaro got the chance to in his term in office the first time around. So keep watching what happens in Brazil. It is certainly going to be an interesting set of developments going forward and an interesting study in how social democracy in the Brazilian and wider South American context deals with these contradictions. I'm going to stick to my analysis that it will handle them as poorly as the European Social Democrats did. So thank you for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow with another update where I'll be returning to the latest news from the Russia-NATO war that takes place on the territory of the country formerly known as Ukraine. I hope you will join me again for that.